This episode is brought to you by Milne Feeds. Milne Feeds have been the leading provider of livestock feed in WA for over 100 years and is now proudly servicing the Northern Territory too. Their early weaner product is a nutritionally balanced pellet for feeding to pastoral calves and young weaners and has been developed with their high fibre technology to reduce the risk of acidosis. Milne Feeds also have a range of products available for beef and dairy cattle, sheep and horses. Find out more at milne.com.au. Listening to the Central Station Podcast, where we bring you true stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. This podcast is brought to you by Ariat Australia, the perfect choice for the tough jobs. Ariat boots and clothing work hard, look good, and are so comfortable there's never a need to slow down. Visit ariat.com.au today. Dating a co-worker can be tough. But what about when you're dating the boss? And the boss is a station manager, and you're a jillery in the stock camp. Okay, before your imagination starts running wild, this is not a tale of some forbidden love affair. When Connie Wood, then Connie Gray, started dating her future husband Matt, he was managing Bliner Station and she was working on a different station on the other side of the Kimberley. While separated by vast geographical distances, their relationship grew and they made the decision for Connie to move to Bliner. Connie went to work in the stock camp but to also live in the manager's house. It was a tricky and at times very challenging dynamic, and today she shares her story. Connie, welcome back to the podcast. Hello. (laughs) Thanks for having me. So last time you were on, it was episode three, and today's a Monday. Tomorrow is a Tuesday, which is when episode 103 comes out. So it's been a hundred episodes since we've had you on the podcast. You've been very busy. It's been a while. It's been about two years. What's been happening for you in the last couple of years? Well, I have produced another child. And I'm about to produce yet another, so obviously we've been busy too. <laughs> um, yeah, and we are in our final few months of managing Bliner and heading off, still with Jumbut Pastoral, but heading off to manage Wave Hill Station in the Northern Territory, which will be um, a return to the Territory for Matt because he's done some time there, but it'll be a whole new adventure to me for me because I've grown up purely in WA. Yeah, so we're going to do a special episode with you and Matt to kind of do a reflections on your time at Bliner. But today I thought we'd chat a bit more about last time when we had you on the show, you told us about Matt's uh, in- proposal and then managing the engagement and planning for the wedding. So I thought we'd just learn a bit more about you today, though, because we kind of come in about mid midway through your life, through your story. But before we get into that, um, I should mention we're probably on a on a bit of a, a, a 
clock today because we've got children asleep. So we're going to get out what we can while they're still asleep. And the reason um, that we're doing this now and not this morning when you have your part-time gummy helping out with the kids is because you were doing what this morning? Showing you around. No, you were working this morning, Connie. I was working this morning. Very hard. (laughs) (laughs) We were mustering Egan's paddock and showing Steph around. Earlier, you were cross-branding bulls. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that. (laughs) The actual work that I do. Yeah, the actual work that you do. So here's Connie, six months pregnant in the yards, just her and Matt. We had some some herd bulls to come through that needed to be cross-branded and vaccinated. And so that's what you're doing this morning while the govy... Yeah, was well, Em was with the kids. Oh, the kids came down for a bit, actually. Yeah, for a little bit to watch yeah. mum and dad work. work. And then, and then, yeah, you took us out. It was kind of working, showing us around. We were yeah. getting Looking some footage them. of the muster. Looking so. at the heifers. Yeah. Yeah, so, I yeah. love that. Here I am trying to build this up to be like, we're having to do this later because even though Connie has help, while she had help, she was out working. Like, <laughs> And you're like, I was just touring around. I was looking at Lily Hall yeah. at the heavens. <laughs> Lily Hall is a water hole, guys. Oh, it yeah. sounds weird when you say, I was looking it's at Lily con- Hall. Out of context, people are like, what did they do at that place? Yeah, a little bit weird. <laughs> yeah. And so – in our last chat, you did also tell us about your son, Harry. So how old is Harry now? Harrison is four next month. And describe yeah. to us what kind of child Harrison is. Hurricane Harrison just about sums up Harrison. He is, um, um, he's full on. He's a full on little dude, but he's great. He's, he, his favorite catchphrase at the moment is yeah, boy, cowboy. And I'm way more cowboy than my dad. And he thinks he's a legend when he goes out tailing wieners. Led by mum, led by me, um, and he tells all the staff what to do already. And it really seriously concerns me. <laughs> I suppose it's in his genetics, though. I love that he's not quite four yet, and he speaks so much and so well. And today, I came and sat down at the kitchen table, and he's like, "Excuse me, you're blocking the TV. Can you please move?" And I was like, "Yes, sir. Good manners." Thanks. Like well, at least he used his manners. Yeah, goodness. and that he had like to be able to put those words together as a three-year-old, though. Yeah. I was like, "Go you." Yeah, he's very articulate. Sometimes you wish that he was less so. <laughs> but no, no, you don't. You never wish that in your child. No, he's great. He's a bit, he's a bundle of energy and he's, yeah, lots of fun. So is he more Matt or you? Oh, definitely more Matt. Uh, he, we've got Matt's dad, Ross, here at the moment actually helping out and he just, he just has told me he's exactly like Matt as a kid growing up. Just Matt's stool for those, yeah, people who don't know Matt, everyone who does know Matt knows that Matt is full on, like he's full on dude, busy man. And he's obviously always been like that because Harrison is also just a busy dude. Harrison wakes up at five o'clock in the morning and he's just go, go, go. And he goes to sleep about one thirty. He's out for an hour and a half and then he's up and he's ready to roll. And clothing is always optional for Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> he has an all over chance. He is the resident nudist of <laughs> Lina. Really he really is. I remember when we were out at camp a couple of years ago and you put shoes on him and he was like not not happy about having to wear shoes, like little sandals, because he'd been barefoot for first like year or two life. years of his life. And now I wonder what it's going to be like if there'll ever be a struggle to... He wears clothes in town, though. He understands he needs to wear his clothing in town, but whenever he gets the chance, he likes to be nakey. Good for him. Yeah, that's what I think. You're well, you've still got so... the confidence, like rocket. Well, well, you're so young. Why not? Yeah. Why not? So <laughs> what were you like as a child then? I was not like that. I was much calmer. But I think there's a little, there's a difference between little boys and little girls too. They're just, they're just so, so different. And I, yeah, I was, I was a calmer child, I think. 
yeah, I did what I was told. And so that was my sister and I grew up with, yeah, with my mum and we were locked, yeah. Mum would tell us if she was doing stuff around the station, she would say, you know, go sit over there and we would, whereas my children do not. <laughs> oh, Imogen does, Imogen. So we've also got a, um, a one-and-a-half-year-old called Imogen. She was born in February 2020 before the COVID pandemic hit, literally, just before. Um, and, yeah, so her and well, we've got her and Harrison and she's just so much quieter. She's still wild. She's, as you saw yesterday, she still tries to do exactly the same things that Harrison does, but she's just not quite as wild as he, as he is and was. And if she was, like, I would oh just be gosh. signing you up to a, oh. a, like a monthly delivery service of wine, like a subscription. Yeah, a subscription. I like, do have them, actually. I know. I feel like you should be getting on after you have this, like, <laughs> yeah. this next baby. Especially once we take on Wave Hill. Yeah, you're going to need be it. Be busier. I might not have time to drink wine. I'll be too tired. So you said just before that you grew up on a station or that your mum would tell you what to do on the station. Where was that? Yeah, so um, I had a, a bit of an interesting childhood. Um, my dad's family are all from the Kimberley region. Um, my dad grew up on Fossil Downs and Leopold Downs and my parents actually met at Kimberley Downs, which we managed the northern half of. Um, so we sort of moved around a bit um, – as kids, my parents separated reasonably early and then um, my mum's partner, so, so like obviously there wasn't a crossover or anything like yeah. that, um, he had two stations in the Pilbara. So we sort of, we lived in a place called Parabadu and we would spend a fair bit of time out at that station. Um, we didn't actually live there, but we spent a lot of time there. Um, and so when we were in town, we'd go out weekends and mum had Cassie there for a while. And um, and then visiting my dad during holidays in the Kimberley. My dad, um, so he managed stations in Queen. In he went from the Pilbara, uh, sorry, from the Kimberley when I was about. So dad was on Laurel Downs for a while, and I think I was about ten when he shifted from the Kimberley over to Queensland. And we actually moved to Perth when I was 10 and um, I finished off primary school and I did high school in Perth. But Dad moved over to um, Queensland at that time. He left the Kimberley uh, and he came back sort of my high school years. I didn't really have much to do with the stations, um, but I would still visit in the Pilbara. We'd, I'd go up for my um, uh, high sc- uh, sorry, um, school holidays and then later on uni breaks. So I'd do work on the station in my uni breaks. And then Dad came back to the Kimberley, uh, I think I was about 21. And so then I started coming back to the Kimberley about then when he, he came back. I said earlier he grew up at Fossil Down, so Dad was doing um, some yard building and some contracting, caretaking work at Fossil. Um, so I think I would have been about, yeah, so long ago, 22, I think, when he came back. Um, and at that stage I had deferred from university and was working fly in, fly out. So in like every sort of second break, I would come up and visit Dad at Fossil. Um, and I sort of always knew, I knew then I would come back to the bush when I'd finished my degree. So finished my year sort of working on the mines and sort of visiting Dad up here. Did a year back at university in Perth, a solid year. And I knew that when I'd finished my degree, I would come back to the stations because that's what I wanted to do. Um, and that's when I got the job at Ruby Plains. So that was for the 2012 season. 
So what did you study at uni? Uh, Bachelor of Commerce, majoring in business law, which I really, oh, I've used it a little bit. Um, but I think I always say that the commerce, a commerce degree is like sort of like an arts degree for people who don't really know what they want to do. <laughs> they don't want to do arts. It's quite transferable though. And, yeah. and can be applied to many different areas. Yeah. Yeah. It can be. And I have, I, ha- I must say, I joke that, you know, in one of my um, blogs that they don't care about, the cattle don't care about the Corporations Act. and um, But it is quite relevant when you're dealing with staff. And um, I did a year up at the Ellendale Diamond Mine in human resources and I got that job because of my degree. So um, it does, having you know, I'm a very big spruker of education and higher education and it does open doors, or any sort of education actually, whether it's tertiary or vocational education, I think that everybody needs to have something behind them, whether you're going to be a ringer, obviously, because I got a <laughs> university degree and then went to be, to be a ringer. Um, I just think it's just so important because you don't, sometimes you don't want to be a ringer forever. Sometimes you, you end up staying and managing a station or running a camp, but you just don't know where your life's going to take you. And, and having an education is just, it opens so many doors for you. So that's a little bit of a segue, but um, yeah, I finished my degree and then um, I'd, I'd met Matt when I was at, in my last year university in 2011 um, and I, even like so my uni breaks and stuff, I was coming up to see dad and my dad had built the Camp Draft Arena at Fitzroy and um, yeah, came up for Fitzroy Rodeo in 2011 and I met Matt there for the first time so my dad actually introduced us which so <laughs> thanks dad <laughs> yeah nice uh, one and I actually did I, sh- I shouldn't say this because I love Matt very much but I just didn't think that much of him when I first met him I just I thought he was very well he was so at Fossil there's a um they had a light, a Cessna light aircraft. So we used to fly when dad, back in, back in those days, they had, um, flights to Perth from Derby. So I would fly from Perth to Derby and then dad would pick me up in the station plane and we would fly to Fossil, especially during the wet season and things like that. Dad would, you know, do, do run, run around town or whatever. Or, and then we'd fly back. So you, you fly directly over Bliner in that, on that flight path. So we would fly over and my dad would tell me about this 23 year old bloody upstart. Well, that wasn't dad's words, but, um, this young man who was managing Bliner and hear how young he was. And I just assumed that his family had shares in the company and that's how he got, <laughs> I was like, whoa, 23, that's so young. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was 23, 24 because he was at Matt's two years older than me. Um, and I thought, oh, we were like, oh, she's so young to be managing a station, normally just running a stock camp at that age. Although nowadays, as we were talking, it's not un- that uncommon, but Matt was the youngest manager for Jumbuck, picked by his dad um, by a few months, I think, as being the, one of the youngest managers here. So, yeah, I would fly. I was sort of familiar with who he was because I'd flown over Blunner. Um, I also questioned why on earth you'd build a station right next to a swamp. <laughs> I was like, why would you do that? As we sit out and look at the swamp As right we, now. And it's beautiful, so I understand why we sit on the sand hill and look at the swamp with all the bird life. So now I get it. But when you fly over and you're sort of, I don't know, 23 and think you know everything, um, yeah, you sort of 
wonder why. So when I met Matt at Fitzroy Rodeo, I can't. I probably already had a little bit of a preconceived idea about him being a spoiled brat. Which is funny because yeah. knowing Matt, he's like he's complete just so opposite. not, and knowing his family, they're just such such great people. And yeah, so I met him, and he like he had his shirt sleeves cut off, and thought he was pretty deadly with his cigarette and stuff. And I'm like, who does this guy think he is? Like, what the heck? And I met him. I'm you know, it was introduced, and I, think I spoke to him later on that later on that night at the bar because he was like kind of creepily hanging around my dad <laughs> and like I was like oh hi you know talking to him and he just did not say anything to me he just looked at me and I was like hi okay yeah hi. you must be a bit of a like a gorilla <laughs> I'm gonna go I'm not gonna talk to you anymore you and he uh, Matt also had a little bit of a reputation too as a bit of a ladies man and I was like, I don't know how you could possibly be a ladies' man because you can't even speak. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, I went off and I'd come up. I was sort of going, I had a, you know, had a bit of a thing with someone else up here. And um, so I, come, I came up for a few other events and I'd seen Matt around at these events and I sort of didn't really speak to him all that much at all, actually, because I thought he was a bit of a douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> and um and then um he he pretty much stalked me on Facebook <laughs> and added me on Facebook because back in those days we didn't have back in those days like we're so old um there was no we Tinder <laughs> yeah we are we're in our thirties um now there's like now there's Tinder and there was no no Tinder I don't know if I ever would would have been on Tinder though but anyway. Um, yeah, so he added me on Facebook and it was all, it was all quite a joke because I lived with my sister and my cousin in my mum's house in Perth. As I said earlier, I was in my final year of uni and yeah, um, it was all, you know, backwards and forwards that you have in the early days and talking on the phone, um, his evenings in the station. And so that was probably later in the year in 2011. So I was going through my final university exams, um, yeah, all my exams to finish up and I sort of was sourcing jobs and I really didn't think that anything would really uh, transpire from all those sort of communications on Messenger and on the phone back then. Um, and so I took the job at Ruby Plains um, and I was going there in the March and Matt came down to Perth in the January, I think it was, and took me out on a date Um and we pretty much spent the rest of our wet season together. Like, oh, he went overseas actually for a while just on a holiday with one of his friends who actually he's the, the guy who he went on over to um, South America and Colombia and stuff. Just imagine what sort of holiday that, that would have been, <laughs> boys' trip, um, with his best friend, Bryce, who's actually marrying my best friend. Um, they got together at a similar time. They're getting married uh, next year in March, so... Um, yeah, they've been to that, that would be 10, 10 years. I was just going to ask you if Matt was a part of the reason you came back up to Ruby. No, I was already coming I mean, back up. So you, you had your early years on yeah. the uh, Station. and Nanutara. Yeah. And, so, and around with my dad up here in the Kimberley. Yeah. So that was, you know, that's kind of holiday time coming to visit dad. Yep. For Uaru and Nanyutara and the Pilbara, that's you said you and your mum were in town, you'd come out to visit yep, my her husband. Yeah, yeah. Oh, not her husband, but her partner. Oh, her at the partner, time. yeah. So 
Um, not, it's not like you're living and breathing it full time. No, I actually wasn't at all. And then all. you're down in Perth and somehow you're – and then you do a commerce degree. And, yeah. and anyone who knows Connie, like, you are you are a lady. Like, you would not look at you and think <laughs> – Some people might have said that 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Connie's got, like, pearl earrings and, like, country road – like, you know, you're just like a country road – Lady. Yeah, like, you're very Matt Polished. Will, Matt will probably laugh at that. Yeah. After a few white wines, I mean, not so <laughs> <laughs> and I just find it crazy that, you know, even even though you had this kind of connection, it wasn't full-time. Mm. Were you – when you were down in Perth, were you riding horses or doing anything kind of farming? Not really. Um, so, my stepfather passed away when I was 20. I was 20. And I just – I guess I thought – like, dad, dad was in Queensland. So, we'd visit Dad in Queensland. But he was – it was quite a way to go. And I guess I was just – I was always encouraged by my parents to sort of, like, immerse myself in my studies and in – and, and giving the city life a go not because they didn't want me to be in the bush but they really felt that it was an important thing to do just to try something else like for me stations were always going to be there like they'd always mean you know they paid the you know the stations had paid the school our school fees and that sort of stuff so we'd always it had always been there in the background and so both my mum and my stepfather and my dad actually would encourage us to try something else so you had more than one string to your bow. And it's nothing that's not, not a commentary or a comment or anything derogatory to people who don't do anything else. It's just what we were encouraged to do. Um, and I'm really glad that I did that. Like I did, um, I did have a career in Perth as well as studying. Um, and I gave working in Perth a go and, and working on the mines a go. And so I have done those things, so I know they're not for me. And so when I came, you know, I came back, oh, honey, as like a 23-year-old to Ruby, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. It wasn't kind of like, oh, I just see how it goes for a gap year or, or whatever. I knew that that's, this is the industry I wanted to be in and make a go of it. So, yeah, when I came up to Ruby to work, I worked for Merv Watley and Jenny um, there at Ruby. I did the season there. Um and sort of it was kind of like a wait and see, see how things go with Matt. And, yeah, sort of you get through that, you know, that year. Like at Ruby that year we were out at stock camp a lot. So I didn't – like you talk on the phone and you see each other at rodeos and stuff and we used to write letters to each other and I was out at stock camp. <laughs> um, and then later that year, October, end of October, um, we thought, oh, well, but well, why don't you come to Bliner? Um, and so I did. And um, it was a hard, it was a, um, a very steep learning curve in the way that Matt had established his himself here. He'd been here for two or three, three seasons when I'd gotten here. So it's not like we started managing together. Uh, and I wanted to work in the stock camp, like, so it was a really interesting, like, you know, we'd been together for not quite a year, so it's not like it was a brand new relationship, but it adds a whole different dynamic. Um, uh, and I wonder how these girls go when they come to station, they start dating the manager and people say, oh, were you working at Bliner? Is that how you met? Um, because there is a little bit of um, inequity because... I wasn't a manager. I wasn't at the level to be a station manager. 
but my partner was and I was working in the stock camp. And so it was a really tricky, um, a tricky time in some ways, a great time in other ways. It was, you know, fantastic. I loved, I love, I love being at Blinder, obviously, because I'm here nearly nine years later. Um, but it is, it was, um, I could, I, I can't say it was an easy thing to do. Um, but we loved each other, so you get through it. Yeah, it must have been hard wanting to remain impartial on both ends, like you not – and then there's, you know, what other people may have been thinking and then maybe what you're thinking that other people are thinking and getting worried about that as well. Yeah, I guess I just was determined to – to do it like Matt was a bit harder on me than every anyone else in the camp because he didn't want to be seen to be favoring me so I would work on days off I'd work with Matt I would you know and then you, and then because you're the manager's partner you step in and you cook and any manager's wife knows this and I was also familiar with these things because I, I you know I'd flown I, I'd go up to the stations and help my stepdad if the cook had quit or you know you'd go up and you would cook in the camp and and that sort of stuff in your break so it wasn't unfamiliar territory for me and you don't mind doing it but it's also not um now we look back on it and how hard Matt was on me, it like it, yeah, it was just, I don't know, you don't want to like, oh, boo-hoo, it was so hard. Like it was great. But, and I'm glad that he wasn't, I didn't get an easy ride because I wouldn't be the person I am now. And I learned an enormous amount of skills and tenacity from, from it all. Um, but, yeah. Sounds like a, a way to really either, I suppose, make or break the relationship yeah, and it's kind of like forged in fire. Yeah, like when you, if you can make it through that. Yeah. Well, tell me what, so when you came up to Ruby Plains, you'd finished uni and you said you were 23? Was I it 22? So. <laughs> 23. I think I was 23 and I turned 24 later that year. Yeah. So that's a fair bit older than yeah. the average person coming out to a yeah. station. Yeah. Um, so on that, so there's that perspective of you coming up to industry in a job which where there's often people are starting at 17, yeah, 18. Yep. Uh, and then tell, so tell me about your time at Ruby. And then I suppose by the time you got to Blina, really, you're still older probably than most people in the camp, but you're only a second year. Yeah. So, um, I wasn't actually older than the crew that we had, that Matt had here. They were all actually my age. Um, so maybe I was more like 23. So there at Ruby we had a smaller camp and there were – so the, the head stockman there, Nick, was a few years older than me. Tony, who I worked with, she was a little younger. I think she was sort of – she was been four or five years younger than me, but she's still one of my best friends today. So I was, I guess, a little older, but not too much older. You hear sort of like 30-year-olds – in the camp, and I wonder how, how they go. Um, but I, I really, it was tough at Ruby and Merv's very old school, um, and it was a steep learning curve. Getting, I had, like, I'd ridden as a kid and a little bit as a teenager on the station, but not the same sort of riding as you do, as you know. Um, and I, like, on, I, I learned to ride on stock horses and in stock saddles and on station horses, but I hadn't done that, that, you know, through my teenage years. I hadn't done that bulk of riding, so it wasn't like learning to ride again. But it was, it was pretty tough um, when you're riding station horses and falling off and getting bucked off and building your fitness back up. But and- you know, I was pretty fit, but gym fitness is totally different from work fitness and saddle fitness. That's right, that's right. And there, there, there were some pretty long days in the saddle there. Um, 
but I wouldn't change it for the world. I, I did, um, I, I look back on my time at Ruby and I'm really proud. And I, you know, working for someone like Merv and, and Jenny, um, and my head stockman, Nick, it was just a wealth of knowledge that I, I feel really privileged to have had, you know, had access to. And even now, um, like Merv and Jenny came to our wedding and are still a good, you know, they're, they're our friends. They're so well known for running yeah. a really good show. Yeah. Um, particularly with the cattle management. Absolutely. So it's wonderful that your first like station job was outside you know, of my parents. Yeah. Outside of working for my mum and dad and my stepdad. Was that a good show? Yeah, that, it was. You know, there are some, you know, it's on a spectrum. You can either go a really good place, a yeah. pretty average place or somewhere in between. So and you kind of went to the cream of the crop. Yeah. And I was, um, that probably wasn't a mistake. I did sort of do a bit of research about where I wanted to work and applying for the jobs. That I did, the places I did, um, you know, cause my dad was up here too and I had spent a bit of time up here and, um, asked, sort of asking people and asking friends who would be good to work for. With it. Uh, my, my biggest thing, I wanted to get a lot of horse work in and I wanted to do things a little, little, little properly, inverted commas, um, walking cattle instead of just following a tail of a helicopter and, and Merv's well known for doing things properly. Um, and that's what I wanted to learn. And I, I'd learned so much that year. Again, a baptism of fire. Um, and I learned a lot about myself as we all do in stock camps, especially there's long, long days and, and a lot of time out at camp and, um, yeah, pretty old school. Um, can you describe for people listening who perhaps haven't been to a station before or, or even maybe are from farms and not as familiar with the way things are done up here, or I'm just even thinking yeah. of my mum, what do you yeah. mean by doing things properly? Like what's uh, how did Merv do it, just an example yeah. compared to? So what I consider doing things properly, and again I have to add the caveat that it's no criticism on anybody and I understand the way you run a station is a, is personal, as your personal, it's the way you've been shown things. It's also there's budgetary, you know, monetary constraints, um, but I think – properly is looking after your cattle in in the way that you're walking with horses and mothering up and really um like a lot of low stress and um so everything that i had learnt was um a lot of horse work you said in the pilbara there was planes and buggies and horses as well um about at ruby yeah i learned to co- properly coach a muster um there were no two-way radios um, uh, How did was, you talk to each other during the muster? Just yelled? Just yell over the top. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yell over the top. <laughs> Hand gestures. Pretty <laughs> good not, sign language. You're not sure if that if it's an angry face or like concentration face or squinting through the squinting dust. Squinting through the dust. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I definitely prefer the use of a two-way personally um but yeah i can sit here properly yeah walking your cattle nice and steady not not roaring them into the yards and um yeah using the using the use of horses um the use of horses like in shoeing your own horses um 
just really um, treating your animals with care and and looking after them, like giving them the vaccinations, bringing them through the yards properly, quietly, low stress, looking after your calves um, and keeping them mothered up. It was something I really, yeah, that sort of old school mentality. A bit more traditional, a bit slower. Not That's right. Like, and- as in like slow and steady wins yeah, the race, not looking right. for efficiencies or cutting corners. To- yeah. So we did things like um, cutting cows and calves out on the flat, you know, and because you'd have Merv's very big on segregation. So um, I've never done that anywhere else. And, I'm yeah, it was a very good – it was a great thing to do. And I don't – and it's something that we don't and, – and hobbling horses out and catching horses without a nose bag um, – they're things that are, are a dying art now. And um, watching Merv Watley with horses is just really quite quite amazing. Um, and, and even Nick, who was my head stock, and they were very talented horsemen, and I was very lucky to have had that experience with them um, and learnt so much from them. I used to just ask questions a million miles an hour, and they answered them. They were really, really very good to me, and I think perhaps because I was so keen. Um, to learn everything I could from them. And there's still things now that I've learned from Mervyn and Nick and even the other guys like Tony um, who, yeah, I just have so much respect for them, it, even still, and I always will. So the first part of this episode we actually recorded at about 2 o'clock this afternoon yeah. and now it's 8.30, so we had to take a bit of a break <laughs> because the children woke up from their afternoon nap and then life. You had some other things to do. So I'm very grateful that um, the kids have gone to bed and I know you've got an early start tomorrow because you've – well, I mean, you have an early start every day, but particularly early tomorrow because you've got to go into town for a um, OB appointment. Is it OB? What do you call it? A prenatal appointment? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a very good Some pregnancy, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, this is your third one. You should really like know what you're doing by now. Yeah, some baby appointment, you know, for the one that's in your belly, not the one that's outside. Yeah, not the crazy babies that are running around. But what we just finished speaking about from memory was your time at Ruby. Yeah. And then we were sort of coming back because you'd been – I guess like a mature age gin when by the time you got to Ruby, like 23, first time in the camp and, um, which is just so not, I just feel like it's so not common these days. Um, and that people think like if you, like that's too old and it's too late to pick it up and. Yeah. I don't know. There's, there's, I don't know. There's, we get a few people coming at that age. Um, it's not, yeah, it's not that uncommon. Um, well, maybe for these places, I don't know what it's like in the company places if people were doing it for a gap year, but we're getting more girls come later. That's and it, we actually welcome it because it's not the silly 17-year-old girl coming. We're getting someone who's a little bit older, who's a bit more life experience. Yeah, I can imagine, you know, there's that trade-off between somebody's skills or somebody's like your yeah, life experiences and ability to handle themselves and be more of a person. I mean, something Linda Evans said the other day is that you can have a team of champions or a champion team. Mm, and I was like, Ooh, wise, Linda, Linda, I got goosebumps. Yeah. Very wise. Yes. Um, yeah. So I, we covered off on that. Um, so I want to ask you more about coming to Blina oh, yep. with your, to live with your new boyfriend yep. who is the manager yep. and the dynamics of that because it's hard, I guess sometimes it can be hard starting in a new station yep. anyway or a new, a new job no matter what you're doing yeah, in life, right. new teammates, all new that company. kind of thing. Um, 
Do you, move, do you move straight into the manager's house or did you yeah. have, like were you in the – No, I came here as Matt's partner because we'd been – it wasn't a, really a new boyfriend. We'd been together for nearly a year. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I moved up here. So Matt had a housekeeper because um, he was a single person living in this house and I came here and Matt says well, he's, he didn't sack the housekeeper because I was coming – but Mandy, um, who's still a very good friend of both of ours now, she was at our wedding. Um, she's a Kiwi lady um, and she soon moved on when I came here. So. She was probably like, thank God I don't have to clean his house anymore. <laughs> yes. Oh, she was more like, thank God there's someone to look after him. I have to um, say, though, Matt is very domestic. Like today I've uh, seen these him. Days, these days. Yeah. I mean, you've trained him well. He's yeah. been putting on loads of washing and yeah. hanging things out. And Well, just- the thing is with that is for so long before we had kids and even while, you know, when we're short-staffed, I'm the one that has to step up. Like so before we were, sh- you know, shoulder to shoulder on the station and in the camp um, and the same goes home with children. It's, it's, in my opinion, like I think women these days are wearing, you know, we've got all these aspirations and um, we have a career and I've been helping Matt very much um, in his career um, and, and which has become mine, which is an unusual thing in itself for stations that you don't have a separate career. As a couple, you kind of bagged in together which no other industry is your job dependent on your husband's or your wife's that I can even think of anywhere. Um, but, yeah, so I was next to him 100% in the, out there on the station and so therefore the same goes. You want to have children, the same goes. You're in the house. I'm not a housekeeper. I'm not the housekeeper. Didn't come here as a housekeeper, even though the housekeeper got sacked. <laughs> oh, no, and Maddie left, moved on. Um, so he lives in the house too, so I don't, yeah, some people might not share my views, but if I'm in the, I'm in the stock camp, it's not like I just um, mow lawns and um, keep a house. I was in the stock camp as, yeah, uh, alongside Matt, so the same goes here. It makes complete sense, and I'm fully on board yeah. with it. It's just that you know, pretty much, especially in the last year, like I travel nonstop. I spend a lot of time at homesteads and it's not a common, like to see, you know, like I know, and I know there's conversations also that we shouldn't be glorifying like, oh my God, the husband, because you know, like it's, I've spoken to some people, like if you're at a rodeo and you see like the dad looking after the kids, you're like, oh my God, he's such a good dad. Look at him holding his child. Dude, it's his child. Babysitting, babysitting. Yeah, babysitting his, uh, no, that's like his child. So I can, but I'm still getting used to it being like, oh wow, Matt just went and bathed the kids and then got them dressed and put them to bed or he just went and put on some laundry or whatever. So like, yeah, exactly. And so it's still, we're still in this stage though where I'm like, oh, wow, like that's good, like good, whereas mm. it should just be like yeah, a, just given, a given. But it really isn't in so many places. No, so I, I love, with that. I love the partnership you guys have built because I know also you've said after you had kids and you wanted to get back into riding mm. and camp drafting, like Matt was, you, you know, you had that conversation yeah. and you, like you needed him to be supportive to be able to watch the kids while you rode your yeah. horses and then com- and like at home and at the competitions. Absolutely. Like this year has been a little different because I haven't been competing. Um, and so I have just had the kids, but normally it's, it is, a, it is a juggling act on all fronts with the station and, and kids. And I just, it's, you know, both of our opinions, obviously, because we're married and 
you know, there's every, everything's got to give somewhere and marriage and relationship and life is about compromise sometimes. Um, and if you want to be a team, you're not just a team people to see out, out there. You have to be a team behind the scenes too. Um, and that, yeah, that's a bit of, sometimes a bit of push and shove about things. But that's, yeah, that's the way, uh, that's just the way I think is, is normal. And it's not unusual in the Wood family, um, either. Matt's brothers are exactly the same. Um, they've got, yeah, he's, he's, uh, one of his brothers is a, also a station manager and another brother's a very high up, um, project manager, um, project manager. He's an engineer and they're exactly the same with their kids and, and their partners. It's just, it's just the way it is in my opinion. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's fair to be any other way. It should be that way. So obviously this didn't happen overnight. Connie's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh hell no. Oh, God. What were the early days of your team building? Yeah. Like. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Um, it, it probably took until we had children for that to change because, um, yeah, it just, Matt was here when I got here, um, was already managing. Um, and yeah, so there were, I, I, I did nearly burn myself out trying to be everything and to be everywhere. So you're, you're cooking and then you're trying to, um, you know, keep this house and you've got pilots and you've got agents and people coming in and out of your house at the same time. You're trying to be, or you're required to be in the stock camp as well. Um, and so there were times, yeah, I'd be mustering and then running back to cook and then coming and then coming up here and running around like a headless fly. Um, and I don't think there's any glory in that. I think that too often we, um, claim busyness as this and, and being over, um, overloaded as this glory badge. And I just really, yeah, I learned the hard way, I guess. Um, yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't, Matt wasn't, yeah, it's, it's nothing against Matt. It was just his, you know, we've got our own workload and you, and you do what you think needs to be done as a station manager's wife or partner. And, um, I think there's a little bit of a stereotype that, well, and it is, you are the glue that fits everything in together. But, um, I, yeah, I definitely, um, nearly burnt myself out trying to be everything to I everyone. I can't remember who wrote it. Somebody did, I think. In a blog, it might actually have been Anne Marie Huey, I think, saying that like you are like Sally's no more gaps. Yeah. <laughs> and so if the if like whether it's the gardens or the cook like or yeah. the kitchen, sorry, or beds need to be made yeah. or they need an extra hand in the yards or on the muster or a boron needs to be done, like it doesn't matter what the job is. Yeah. Like you're there to you're you're just like the, the dog's body. The yeah, dog. you are. You are. And um and that's I think the more that things like this podcast sort of they do shine a little bit of light on that role because it's just you just in the background doing everything and sometimes I know I think the staff must think that the manager's wife doesn't do anything because she's in the homestead but she's the one on the radio she's the one who's staying up late on the radio when they're when they when they're fighting fires or um, answering the phone ordering parts running bores when the boreman quits right in the middle of the wet season and there's, you know, driving the lick truck or doctoring horses. They're all the little things that happen when the crew are out or when the crew have got a day off. Um, 
there's there is oh there's not there's nobody else but sometimes there literally is nobody else <laughs> yeah and it's always and I think it's very different not everyone there has been a, a really great um little business pop up recently called Pointer Remote Roles and this lady started it because she had a lot of friends that had like married people on farms or stations etc and they had these skill sets and they didn't necessarily want to work on the farm yep. or the station yeah. or be that thing and they they may be an engineer or an accountant mm-hmm. or whatever, so kind of setting them up so they can keep their own because identity. Uh, yeah, I was actually having a chat with a lady only a couple of months ago who's saying, you know, for now she's kind of fallen into that, you know, helping out and all yep. sorts of things in the station, but really she's got a lot of skills that she can make a pretty decent income if yep. she contracted or did remote yep. work. Yep. Um, and it can be really hard just trying to get things Happening. The look on your yeah. The look oh, your- I know that all too well. Like as we spoke earlier, um, I came I came in. I'd finished a degree in business law, uh, a, um, a commercial degree in, in commercial law, so a commerce degree, uh, majoring in um, business law, um, and then suddenly to have your a lot of your identity sucked into your partner, not even my husband at the time. Um, is um, it can be, yeah, it can be, it's really hard. And it took me a long time to, I struggled with that a lot. And maybe that's my own ego um, because, yeah, I don't know, probably. Um, some people probably have no problems with that and that's cool, but I, I struggled with it. I didn't necessarily struggle so much with once I had children with that, you know, some people have that identity sort of thing once they have children. I, I guess I struggled with it before before then because suddenly, yeah, your career is 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 intrinsically linked with your husband's or your partner's or your boyfriend's. So I actually got after my first couple of years here, I went and got another job. I went and got a job at, at the Ellen Dale mine. Yeah. Yeah, because I was I thought well um I just needed my to I guess reaffirm who I was because I still was quite young and I guess in my mind I didn't intend on ending up with a manager. Like I sort of, my aspirations in the industry were, I guess, to do it myself and to and to go up myself in a camp. And um, whether or not I've, yeah, I've done. I've been a leading hand here and and made plenty of impact here at Bliner, in my opinion. Um, but I never, yeah, I never. I guess I never thought that way. I guess I know I saw like my mum and my dad's wife and stuff. They're always a supporting role, but yeah, I don't know. I maybe never thought about it that much. And then when the reality was that, yeah, um, uh, I was so not in my, yeah, I guess I was in my shadow. Um, I yeah, I went and got another job um, at the Ellendale Mine and was promoted very quickly to the um, human resources advisor for the site. Watching the site went bust. <laughs> but nothing to do with human resources, though. <laughs> nothing to do with human we'll put resources. put that on the chief financial officer. Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole other story. Um, but, yeah, and then I had a job as a um, as a agricultural lecturer right. with TAFE. So, um, and that was another, that was a whole other, you know, holding down those jobs you think. It doesn't ever excuse you from your you don't get a leave pass from the stuff that's happening on the station. When I was, even though when I had another job, I was, even though I wasn't paid, I was still working. I was still mustering on the weekends. I was still doing things for Matt when I was in my other jobs. Um, so, yeah, I ended up, well, we made the decision together that I would, 
come back to the station. But I, I'm really glad that I – it's sort of not only for myself to say, well, I do have worth um, and I do, you know, I have got a life and an identity other than my partner's. Um, it was, um, yeah, good for Matt, I think, also to see that, oh, hang on a second. She's got options. She doesn't need me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that was, um, I'm really glad I did that um, for myself. And then when I did, I came, I said I had the sort of two years, even though I was still living at Bliner, um, and that's when we got married, Um uh, and during that time and I sort of working, working, you know, there's times you work remote from the station and, and you're still doing things, as I said. Um, but then I did come back into the stock camp. Um, yeah, the year we were married, the year after we were married. Um, and I did that glad. Well, I guess maybe because I had that more, bit more confidence in myself and my abilities and Matt did too. So, um, yeah. Um, when I did come back to the station, we made the well, we made the decision. It was it, it, it the workload was a lot um, working off the, as as there are plenty of station wives, station managers' wives who do it. I can think about three off the top of my head, um, and it's just it is still a huge workload. Yeah. So in that first year, you came to Bliner as a jewellery. Yep. Matt was manager. Yep. So you would have had. Headstockman? A, a leading hand and a headstockman between no, you? No, just a headstockman. Just a headstockman. Yeah. Okay, so Matt would give the directions to the headstockman that would filter them on to you. Like, yeah. how did, I know you said earlier no, that Matt was quite was hard on you. Like, how very did that hard play on me. out? Um, I've got to think back now. It's a, a fair while ago. It's it funny how you can remember like, that, like that, but when it comes to specific. Yeah. You know, like they say people will never, they may never remember exactly what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I, oh, you know, yes. if we have a fight, I might not remember the words you said, but, but I'll remember, remember the, the whole gist. The feeling. Yeah. It was a really interesting and difficult position to be in because you're privy to a lot of things about the management. And I guess I, I was in a unique situation that I wasn't just a Jillaroo when I came to, I was privy because my dad had been on run stations and my stepfather had owned stations and I'd seen it from a business point of view. I was privy to that sort of stuff. Um, I sort of wasn't just in the camp. Um, and so, and then living up here, um, and your partner being the manager. Like I was always very, very conscious of the sort of the hierarchy. I was always very conscious to be supportive of the headstockman and never to undermine him or her. Um, uh, I was very, very conscious of that because I understand that what the it can really be quite damaging. So even though, so I, I, you know, I would help Matt make the mustering programs and things like that, but then I would ha- just. I would not be a smart ass on the radio or get, I was very, very those first few years before I was sort of in a more senior role officially, I was very conscious not to tell people what to do and undermine a headstockman. I think Even that- though I was privy to the, the, the instructions that the headstockman was given before he was given them, I just had to just, just bite, you had to just bite your tongue. But that, and so, yes, you were older when you came to the role, yeah. but still in the scheme of things, quite mm. young, you know, mm. 23, 24, 25. Yeah. That takes an enormous amount of self-control 
to does, yes. yeah to be out there and you know especially if something's happening that you don't agree with or yeah. your head stockman is being a bit of a dick or whatever or you know it's not the way that Matt wanted it to done happen. and to not come home that night and go mew, mew, mew. yeah uh, and to be honest I'll put my hand up and say I did this when I worked in my most recent job I went I skipped a, a thing and I would just go straight to the yeah. top and um, if I had an issue like I wouldn't even bother going through the proper chain of of responsibility, which is again mm. wrong, but like it's a really tricky one. Yeah, um, I think that it depends on the situation and how severe it is. Like, if it's anything to do with animal welfare, or um, if I thought someone was being bullied, yes, definitely. But most of the time, um, maybe the instructors might say differently. Uh, I have got I've gotten along really, really well with. Well, they're the head stockmen here for a reason because they are aligned with the values and, and the way we want to do things. Um, so I, I have, yeah, there are times where you do, you know, you are kind of, and I think people sometimes forget even you're in the camp um, that you see a lot of things um, and you see things that people perhaps don't realise that you see, especially when um, when you're out there and you're the manager's partner and, I guess it's a little different these days, but you still, when you're not in there all the time, you do, you see a bit, you're, you're sort of a little, I find especially these days a little more removed. But back then, yeah, if it was just petty little things, something like a disagreement or whatever, I just, I wouldn't say anything. But if it's a big thing, you sort of just give Matt the heads up and then he would do with that with what he wanted. But I, I really was conscious not to. Um, well, that's not how Matt would do it. I don't think that's right. Or you might just have a quiet word with the head stockman. I was, re- I've, I've always really tried not to undermine the people we've had in those positions. Um, sometimes it's harder than others, but most of the time, yeah, you just got to look at the big picture. And what about the dynamic between you and Matt and? I don't want to say like power and balance, like it's the worst, most horrible thing in the world. I mean, we do see, you know, you hear stories out there of, you know, and this is completely different, but, you know, like people in the workplace having affairs with their bosses or whatever and all, you know, all sexual harassment and this power and balance. And they're always talking about the – obviously, this was different. It was you were together beforehand. It was consensual, all that kind of stuff. But when one partner is – in a very like, and it's different oh, if you're in different industries or in the same yeah. industry but different companies. Like it's still there's still a difference. So if you were both in the cattle industry and he was a manager in one place and you work work next door as a jewellery, yeah. there'd still be a power imbalance Absolutely. there. Um, then you've got like obviously a, you know differences in wages, yeah. um, power, and did you find did you find yourself wanting to try and correct that balance in I guess in personal circumstances like you know if you're like oh, what do we have for dinner what movie are we seeing no, I didn't really like, um, like can't I just be the boss for once yeah like, I guess I uh, no I didn't um I yeah I was thinking about it um I think that I'm quite an assertive person generally and um I certainly I guess maybe that's why Matt and I did end up, we've ended up together and for so long. And certainly, um, we don't agree on everything. Um, we definitely hold one another to account. And I, um, yeah, I, I guess I always saw us as a team and I had a specific, I had a certain role to play. Um, and I guess I trusted that with time and the more experience that I got, 
and we are in the situation where we are now. We're very much a team and we will always have been a team. It was just a little difficult to find your footing in the beginning. Um, but yeah, I never found myself trying to correct the power, power, a power balance or anything like that. Um, you do assert yourself and try and, um, you know, and Matt has always asked my opinion on things. He's never dismissed me outright. He's always, I guess, as a any successful um, relationship, um, there has to. I guess we're equal in our minds. I suppose um, I'll ask his opinion on things. I trust that he will give me an absolutely straight answer and the same um, about whether well, your partner's your confidant. Yeah. Um, so I guess even in the early days, he would still ask my opinion on things and whether or not he publicly recognised that or not. Um, I guess it didn't really matter all that much because in behind closed doors and up here, we was we were we were equal. Um, whether it's it's it, sometimes it's a hard line to draw in the sand between your workplace and your home, but I really did try. We really did have to make a, a conscious effort to try and sometimes lay some of those things at the door as, as hard as that was sometimes. When do you think the turning point was where that started to really become the norm for you? Did you ever have to have like a big sit down about oh, it? Or? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll like, yes, oh, yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think, I mean, if you don't reassess, you, ha- you have to have that continual dialogue, I think, to ha- for a relationship to work. You know, you just – you have to talk. You always have to talk, and and communicate and sit down when there's there's issues that come up or someone's got an issue with something, and you you know sometimes it's hard to hear, but um, I think that's what makes marriages last the test of time. Um, my parents didn't, <laughs> but I think yeah, um, you have to be honest, and and it's, sometimes it's really hard to hear the things that you don't want to hear. Maybe you're being a little bit of a little shit or something. Or, you or, would never be that. We're clearly talking about Matt here, right? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty stubborn. And, yeah, and you don't like to hear it. But then the, I think when you when you have those sort of very frank discussions, it's not because someone's trying to point their finger at you. It's because they're trying to make you a better person and make your relationship better. better. I don't know what a relationship is a thing arrangement whatever um yeah it's yeah um so you do have to yes you do have to sit down at some stage and say well that's you know you're being a bit of smart ass or that's not your place or you know you're not listening to me or you spoke over the top of me there and yeah it's just um and then it's just time and then having been married and then i'm you know i'm going away having another you know other jobs then coming back um and it's difficult because it's not a family place, it's a company place. So there's that dynamic as well, the fact that we report it's not um, we're employed by a company. Um, it's not a family place. So that changes things as well. So we work for Jumbuck, which is a company, but it's a family-owned company, but it's not our family-owned property. So um, that adds a whole different dynamic when you're reporting to someone who's not in your family 
Honestly, with some of the horror stories I've been hearing lately about succession planning, oh. but I think I'd rather that that dynamic yeah. than yeah. And that's I'm not saying it's Lord. a bad thing. It's a, it's a great thing because um, you can be impartial about decisions because in the end we get paid a salary to do a job, um, and um, yeah, and Jumbuck are, are they are a great company to work for. It is it goes to show with the managers when people are in a management position here they stay for a long time. Um, we just have to look at how long Loris have been here, even like Troy and Monica, favourite meter. People stay for a long time with Jumbo Pastoral um, and there's a reason for that. It sounds like it, and by it I mean I guess the relationship is like an onion, like there's so many layers and I would never ask and I don't want to know but I'm just thinking in my mind as we're talking about like with this power imbalance and how that dynamic how that affects the dynamic of the relationship. Um, thinking of other conversations I've had with other people, it also depends on how you choose to move forward as a team. And there's so many factors influencing that, but uh, a big one, and I don't, I'm not asking yeah. you to share, but like is financials. I, I didn't know I was talking to somebody recently and one partner earns significantly more than the other, married with children, yeah. keep their finances completely uh-huh. separate. Kind of, and I, I'm not saying again, there is no right or wrong way to do this because I also find it really interesting to listen to a lot of finance podcasts about yeah. like that involve relationships. But you know, kind of s- splitting the bills equally, but then what's left over after that yeah. is different. So yeah. one person is very much in the other end of the power. The one person's Absolutely. got a lot of coin in the bank, yeah. and the other one has to be like, "Can I? Can we have this? Can we buy it?" And so it's such a difficult position to be in. Yeah. And so, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong and you've got to do what works. I'm not a financial counselor. (laughs) You're not going to hear me at the end of the episode going, my license is number blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Blah, blah, blah. Um, the bank mumble at the end. Yeah. All that, you know, but if you do want a good finance podcast, she's on the money. Very good. There's quite a few other good ones out there, but everything's different, but I can imagine there's so many factors that come in, but you're at a point now where you're both, you are assistant manager, Matt's manager, and and I think we all know assistant manager. You basically, I I tend to, we actually, I got you and a few other people to write in for a blog that I pulled together called um, (laughs) the Minister of War and Finance. Um, to talk. <laughs> That's what our neighbor calls his partner, that his wife, that. Well, I, my boss would always, I didn't realize he's always like, oh, I've got to go meet the minister, the minister, rah, rah. And then he, and he's like, you talk about the minister for war and finance. And I used to be like, what a weird portfolio. And also, <laughs> why is the minister always in Broome? Like, wouldn't you be in Perth where Parliament is? Then I realized that the minister <laughs> for war and finance was his wife. His wife and yeah. I was like, cause I was just like, what a weird portfolio. Like, that just doesn't, here I am, two uni degrees, and I'm like, what? Um, but I got all you got, like a bunch of different women to kind of also demonstrate that the role of women or partners mm-hmm. on stations is different. And it's some people are have other jobs. Other yeah. people are assistant managers. Mm-hmm. Managers, you know, assistant manager is different to being the manager's assistant, yeah. being just perhaps just just yeah, a partner, no. or they've got off farm yeah. income. Um, it, it, it takes all sorts, and it depends on the station. It depends on the capacity of the station. It depends on the company you work for. Yeah. So that's why I think it's really um, it's hard. You can like one station to the other, even within the same company. It's they're they're so different, and what someone's capacity is, and what they did before they were with a partner, whether or not they came together or whatever. It's all so different. There's and not, what the opportunities were when they got there. I know yeah. people that have been. 
assistant manager somewhere and they come to the new place and there isn't a role for them, but yeah. they'd make the decision to still come there with their partner. Yeah. And that's yeah. why I really wanted to do that story to highlight that you can't just be like, oh, that's the manager's wife and she does this, isn't that? And what, Cause it's so, it's different, so different and no two are the same. And also just the phrase manager's wife or manager's partner. Um, or, you know, there are a few female managers out there yeah, now. There so we, we're talking, you know, talking about the, the partners. And that's, a, that's a whole nother, uh, yeah, that it would just, yeah. Um, that would be a whole nother kettle of fish having a family and having, you know, we're in a very privileged position where I can, yeah, um, with Jump Up Pasta with I've got the ki- I can, you know, I'm the one who, wherever you, ha- any job that you have, some, if you want to have children, there's got to be some sort of sacrifice. Somebody has to sacrifice a career or a job. And I'm not saying, I think I've said this in a, a previous, um, conversations that we've had. Yeah. Um, in this industry, um, it'd be very difficult. And it is difficult. I've, I've struggled with it myself. Um, yeah. You can't, it's such a full on job and it's so all encompassing that you do have to stay. I've found that I've had to take a step back out of the stock camp. I mean, there's times where Harrison was small that it was very, very busy because we were very short staff, but we've been in a very privileged position, a little purple patch the last sort of three years that we've had, um, very consistent, um, group, group of in our camp. So we've had about four, four guys that have come back, um, or four or five actually that have come back and are very reliable, great bunch of people who we've had in our camp. So I haven't had to be there training or helping or stepping in um, as much. I've, I've been able to go and do things. Like I have had to step in ball running and things like that, but in the stock camp, which as we all know is such a full-on job, I haven't had to um, I haven't had to be there. I've been there because I want to be there. And, you know, of course it's helpful having an experienced person there. But, um, yeah, I wonder how people go – Running of these big places as as a female manager with, with, with children, I um yeah it would be a real um, juggling act. His juggling act as a, as a duo, my husband in the main in the, in the main spotlight. Um, it's still a juggling act for us. And let's talk about it this time next year when we're at Wave Hill. Yeah. <laughs> So right, I'm going to order you that wine subscription as soon as we finish recording. I might need Valium <laughs> instead. I think uh, I know you're assistant manager, but I suppose I, I, a lot of people I know these days I just refer to as a management team because it yeah, really it is, it it is, is a team. It is. Um, and even though you may not be out on every muster and every stock camp, honestly, you should get like somebody. Somebody should just give you a full-time salary for managing Harrison, <laughs> honestly. Um, the fact is you're still in management team and it's not just about you being out there. It's being in the office and not yeah. just being in the office, but, but you're just all the gaps. Matt's, like, you know, like the, the sounding board as well and you're influencing and helping make decisions together. And there's so much more, I suppose, the thing, uh, with, with being a manager is it's not necessarily once you step up from, you know, leading hand to head yeah. stockman to manager. It's not necessarily about being out there for every activity yeah. and doing everything. It's about the strategic decisions yeah, and is. the management, which is really different. And you can – you're doing that from here, yeah. even while you're strategically managing a one-and-a-half-year-old and a very 
active, energetic, four almost four-year-old. And I've got help. Like I've, we've got someone, um, Emma, who who comes up. She's here in the mornings and so that frees me up to do a lot more. And that's a, a conscious choice that we made because that of what that I pushed for as well to get somebody to help me because for my workload it's important for me to be able to help for my mental health to um to be doing something other than just being um you know at home or it it gives me the freedom to be able to do what I love which is be out in the station and and doing things whether it's sometimes yeah he's in the office it looks a bit more like in the office when you're um, you know, three quarters of the way through a pregnancy, it's a bit more office work. Um, but it also is your two thirds the way through now when you're in the yards this morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it is all those little things. And that was a decision that we made to, to get somebody to help with the kids. And, um, and also means that, you know, I was able, I can go riding, I can do those things that, uh, you know, that I, I, I value. Um, and that makes me a better mum because I'm not feeling um, closed in. What are the challenges in your particular environment? I mean, we have people listening from all over the country and actually all over the world. What, so if you were in the city or in town and you had a job uh, and you had children and yep. uh, so you have the option of taking them to childcare and dropping them off, there's some – you can get some kind of government subsidies at yep. some. Well, I don't. I'm not exactly yep. sure what the parameters are for that, and and the cutoffs. When it comes to being on a station, is having Emma is that a hit straight out of your salary, or is there some kind of? I know it's a little bit hit and miss. For um, I know some people can access some stuff, and then yep. but it doesn't. It's always covered under govy like govies yep. for school for yep. tutors, That's but for right. daycare. Yeah. So can you access something yep. for? So Emma. there is a yes ICPA hat on now. Um, so we access the in-home care scheme, which is means you can access a childcare subsidy. So that subsidises part of that wage. Um, it's a great. The the thing is, so say you yeah, it's a tricky one to compare. Um, and sometimes you do. You think about, oh, it would be so much easier if we just had a normal life in in town. You could get somebody to come in part time. They, you wouldn't have to get someone living here, feeding them, board and keep, all that sort of stuff. Um, it really is all in or all out on stations. Um, so um, subsidies and and programs. I don't know if it's called how you how you describe it, the in home care scheme. Uh, it, it's a very good thing, um, and we access it to subsidise our nanny's wage, but there are big, big gaps in um, in its how applicable it is to every situation, and that's a whole another whole another fight that the ICPA's um, in, um, Isolated Children's Parents Association. Um, on a federal level ha, ha, is taking up um, because there's, there are a lot of – and for the way we use it as a, as a purely childcare scheme, uh, a ch- you know, to subsidise the childcare, um, it is – it's a very – it's a great thing. Um, it is flawed in a lot of ways. 
Um, and, and then there's a whole other kettle of fish, um, getting, um, paying for governesses and that sort of stuff. Um, we are in a privileged position that as part of our package, um, we have a governess provided for by the company. Um, and then whatever we choose to chip in above and beyond that, we are able to, should we choose to. Um, but there are, uh, yeah, uh, Sarah Craig Cook, I think. She did a great episode. Uh, I think it was episode 51. It was great and it really highlighted. I'm glad you actually listened to one of yeah, them. <laughs> I did. I, I love Sarah. I think she's great and I uh, just her. Connie's not a regular listener in case you can't tell. <laughs> she listened to episode three, her own, and then that was it until episode 51. <laughs> I've listened to a few more. I oh, listen, okay. I listened to Pips. <laughs> Episode 15. How do you, I didn't even know. Wow, you have a memory. You have a good memory. My memory is not very good, um, obviously. But when can I ask, when you say you've got a governess provided, Yeah. what Sarah said in her episode is that, so let's say you get X amount of dollars yep. plus a governess. If you yep. didn't have children, you'd be getting no. no? Okay. No, no. So, ne- so, not necessarily. So in this case, the company is actually wearing the cost. Because yeah, the, the, at yeah, the end are. of the day, I guess the the buck, like the point with Sarah is that somebody wears somebody that cost, whether cost. it's the employer yep. or the employee, yep. somebody's paying for that home tutor Absolutely. or governess. So in this in this case, Jumbuck is wearing the cost. Yeah, so not with not incredible. with Emma because it was a choice that we Yeah. Um, and this is before school age. This is before school age and it was a choice that we made and it wasn't yeah, that's a, yeah. Um but that's when, incredible of Jumbuck though. Yeah, it's a it's a Hi, great Callum, thing. If you're listening, <laughs> we'd love to have you on the podcast. <laughs> Um, He's not going to listen. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm going to send this to him. Um, no, it is. It's very generous of Jumbuck, and as you said, and as um, Sarah said in her conversation with you, um, there is no such thing as a free lunch. And I think, yeah, it's a real bugbear of mine um, that it's supposed to be. You know, education is supposed to be so accessible and free. Um, but somebody has to be supervising our children in the schoolroom. Next minute, somebody's out minimum yep. 50 grand, whether it's Absolutely. minimum yeah. 50 grand a year. Um, and whether that's all going into the, into the person, whoever you choose to, if you're choosing to pay someone to educate your children, um, but then out here, it's not just getting someone to come and then go to their own home. You're having someone. Sometimes it's we we're lucky here that um yeah and and when we go to Wave Hill, the governess will have her own quarters. She doesn't have to live in our house, even though they do spend a lot of time in your home. Um, they don't live here in your home with you. Um, but some people I don't have that privilege. They have got someone living in their home that they're cooking for, they're, they're feeding them everything else. Um, and I just think that um, if you're in the city, you send your kid to the – you have the choice. You can send them to a private school or we don't necessarily have that choice in early childhood um, up here or you send them to the local government school in which the fee is nom- – you know, you can choose whether or not you pay your fees, I think, at um, – with a government school um, and they go to school and they do their thing and then they come back. Whereas when we're educating our children remotely, um, it's you have to pay someone or you have to forego an income in order to educate your children. And it's just, as I said earlier, education is just so important. It opens so many doors for our 
or our children. I just think that something more needs to be done to um, rectify it, but something else. Make something it more like, contemporary. Yeah. Like it's an outdated it system. Is. At this rate, it's, it sounds like it's cheaper to send your six-year-old to boarding school than to have Sometimes. a governess. You know, we're talking 50 grand a year yeah. minimum. I don't know what a boarding school uh, – isn't boarding school like 34? I don't know. Depends on the maybe, maybe like the – the maybe the Povo boarding school is already 30, 40 grand. I don't know. I know they get pretty uh, yeah. expensive, but, you know, and there's an there's, issue when it's yeah. cheaper to send your child. Yeah, that's right. Anyway. I just think um, not only are you – you have to – like I've just done the hunt for next year because we've been so lucky with our – my uncle Emma, my helper. Um, this year she's going on – she's finishing her degree and going on to – um, to, to achieve great things um, and just going through the, the stages of choosing someone to come and they do, they come into your family whether you like it or not. They are part of the, whoever you choose to educate your children on a station, they come and they become part of your family because they're there with you. Sometimes the schoolroom's in your home or they're, they're you don't have that relationship with your child's teacher. You don't get the break from them because you Not live together. Yeah, you like do. You live. Yeah. yeah. Um, and whether, you know, we, we eat up here, um, uh, you know, and, the, and you can send, you can choose in a, on a, on a company place like this where you have a, a stock camp cook. But those smaller places, the governess is eating in with them, um, and in the house. And it's, yeah, it's, it would be a tricky, tricky thing to neg- negotiate because you're not, you're not just picking someone to educate your children. You're picking someone to come into your family, and that's a tricky one because um, you're looking at their personality and and whether or not it fits with yours. Whereas a school teacher, who's a, a teacher, you know, drop them off, school, give drop them, them off, give them that's show it. and tell, yeah, um, yeah. Egg and peanut free smoko. And- yeah, yeah, yeah. And you still have, you obviously have a relationship with them, but uh, it's not to the same extent. Like Emma's very much a part of our family. Like we love her. And whoever we get next, you're looking and you're looking at someone and whether or not their values align with yours. Um, whereas a primary school teacher doesn't matter. You're like as long as you're good between yeah, eight whatever. to four. Yeah. Eight, no, it's like eight to three, eight yeah. to two these days. And if you want to go out and do crazy stuff after school, yeah, well, that's your stuff. whatever. That's but nothing. here, like it just doesn't work like that. No, no. And it's quite unique and it's a very special thing. And that's why, yeah, I guess people are attracted to it. But um, it's also, yeah, I, I've seen some things go very south, not with, not with my relationship with the people that I've had helping me. Um, with my children, but I've seen seen it happen, and um, it's a very difficult one to come back from. Um, yeah, not personally, um, but yeah, um, and it's a very unique situation. And I think that yeah, something with regards to funding that, um, I think the government needs to pull its socks up a little more um, because there's no choice with the people that you get that you have to go through a certain organisation in order to access your subsidy and then they take a, a pretty big chunk of your subsidy. Yeah, don't get me started. That's all right. We'll don't do a whole other on episode that. on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wait until Connie's had the baby and I can give her a few on so she gets really ready to <laughs> talk. <laughs> I better um, – it's probably not far off – well, it's definitely past your bedtime, to be honest, and like we said, but you've got an early appointment tomorrow. I'd like to finish up by asking you – I suppose for some advice for listeners 
unqualified uh, to give advice. Oh, I know, but people love, you know, unqualified and unsolicited, unsolicited advice. My cousin and I have been joking for months about starting a podcast called Unsolicited Advice. It would be like all you have to get a lot of women drinking a lot of white wine because that's a favourite, I think. Is for the best. And then, and then I searched the it. I searched it in the podcast app, and there's like three podcasts called oh, Unsolicited Advice. Oh, I was like, well, everyone's having this idea. <laughs> so I'd like your unqualified and well, allegedly unqualified and unsolicited advice. Although I'm soliciting it right now for anybody <laughs> listening, not necessarily in the pastoral industry, but in any any industry, what whatever it is. That is in, I suppose, as we've talked about earlier, a big part of this episode, well, really the main part of this episode has been the power dynamics and relationships yeah. and, and being and entering a relationship where, you know, whether or not it's boss and not boss or just people who earn more and earn yeah. less, like just what you've learned over the last 10 years, because you and Matt, like you said, you, you, you've gone through like the roller coaster, yeah. you've really had oh, to work yeah. through it, but you're a very solid, as we said earlier, like it's, it's forged, it's forged in fire. Yeah. Like who you are. So we'd like some of your wisdom. wisdom. Yeah. In my 33 years, something, a few more than I'd like to admit. Wait, years. aren't you 34 this year? <laughs> I am. Hang on, I'm hanging on to that for as long as I can. I've got another month of being 33. So. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> it's like, wait, you're definitely older than me. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am. Grey hairs prove it. Um, yeah, I guess. Um, so. My experience has been within the pastoral industry, but um, I guess it would happen in any relationship and no no two people are the same. And I, and I think that so long as you love each other um, and you your priority is your relationship, um, yes, on stations your job is a huge part and it's a very intense job. Um because not only are you managing, you have, you know, people are come, like people you saw today, people come into your home and I'm very happy for, for our staff to come into our home, like I welcome them. Um, uh, and I, my door's always open, but, um, that does impact on your relationship. And I think that so long as your relationship with your partner is a priority, you continue to communicate. Um, sometimes you just have to let things go as hard as that is without being a pushover. There's, I guess you pick your battles. There are some things that are really important with your own set of values and that comes from your own family, I guess, um, and the way you were brought up and the things that you were role modelled, you know, what you saw role modelled to you. Um, I think I think that so long as you put your love first and the thing is it's easy to fall in love it's so easy to fall in love. You can fall in love like that. But it's working to, to love the one that you've chosen and then choosing to love the one that you've chosen, um, choosing to love the one you're with, um, is working at a marriage is hard. Um, whether or not you've got, you're sharing a job, which we are, um, or whether you're not, you go and you do, you know, you're a nurse and your partner's an engineer or whatever it is. Um, I think that so long as your priority is, your family and the reason you're doing your job here on the station, the whole reason Matt and I are here and we do this is so we can have a good life together and for our children and that overarchingly is your priority. 
And, you know, sometimes you do have to have a bit of argy-bargy about that. But I guess, yeah, that's my advice. Goodbye. Have six years of marriage, seven years of marriage. We'll come um, back in 20 yeah, yeah. and replay this episode and see what you – Survive Waypill. But the whole, you know, even taking that job at Waypill, it's a huge step up um, for us and it will – it's a huge um, increase in our workload. The reason we're taking that is, yes, okay, the um, – the professional challenge, but also because it will enable us to set a life up for ourselves and for our children. And if that's your priority over above above everything else, that should be what drives you. If it's your ego that drives you, or or you you know whatever it is, you you need to prioritize your marriage and relationship. Sometimes it does take a back. On the, to sit on the back burner sometimes, that's life. Um, but if you center yourself around that, around one another, then I think that I hope that you'll be okay. <laughs> I think that's, well, that's just my opinion anyway and that's how we try and live our, live our life. Charles Darwin University's Agricultural and Rural Operations Team focuses on North Australian production and business systems offering current real-world knowledge and experience by delivering both full qualifications and industry-required short courses. Courses at the rural campus are designed to develop the skills required for work on a North Australian beef cattle property or in the top-end agri-industry, while providing a sound knowledge base in the pastoral and or agricultural industries. They have dedicated staff who specialise in workplace training and assessment and recognition of prior learning. They will come to you and service some of the most remote areas of the Northern Territory. Find out more at cdu.edu.au. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or leave us a review. It really helps other people find our podcast. You can find our website at centralstation.net.au where we have over 1,200 stories published from across Northern Australia. All of our podcast episodes, a tourism directory for visiting an outback cattle station and training and employment resources. We're on Facebook at Central Station True Stories from Outback Australian Cattle Stations and we're on Instagram at centralstation.net.au and we're also on Twitter at centralstation6. To discuss this episode with other listeners, head on over to our Facebook group, Central Station Podcast.